Kiddos, you can go with Pastor Julie. You're going to talk about that call of Moses. The rest of us are going to stay here, and we're going to talk about the same thing. So, you can head on out. While they're going, you might want to open your Bible to the book of Exodus, if you're reading it on your iPhone. I hope you have a 4S. Uh, it's beautiful to hold uh, and to behold. If you haven't, maybe you've got an iBook or that failing, maybe you've got a regular book. I don't know. But uh, open it up to Exodus chapter 3 and just kind of hold in reference. You know, it's interesting. Can you believe it has been over a year since I came to come to, to play with you guys? Uh, doesn't possibly seem like it could be that, that long. Yet it's, it's almost over, three more weeks. Uh, <laughs> thank you for not clapping at that point. <laughs> it's a little scary. Uh, you know, I've got one, one more series, you know, three weeks, and it, you know, it's kind of like a last words, and last words ought to be brief, uh, but you also want them to be right. I've been, I've been praying a lot about what we get to share together with this last couple of times we're together. And God's brought me time and again back to this story of Moses. So I want to spend three weeks talking about Moses. Think, think about this. Moses is huge in the Old Testament. I mean, for no other reason because he wrote a quarter of it. You know, the first five books of the Bible are all mosaic, and that's about a quarter of the, of, of the total. But Moses, Moses is just bigger than life in a lot of ways. The bringer of the law, the one who led his people from slavery. I love the last words about Moses. Almost the very end of, of, of the story goes, and Moses was an 120 years old, and the juices of life still flowed, which is kind of a biblical way of saying he was romantically still vigorous and still entirely functional. You gotta, you gotta love a guy like that, and you gotta love a book that would tell you so. I mean, it's good stuff. But the story of Moses is huge for a bunch of reasons. Maybe the biggest thing, the, 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 the dominant theme in the whole Old Testament is the, is the story of Exodus. It's how, how God took his people from slavery and he gives them a land of their own. He takes them to the promised land. And I'm, I'm especially drawn to the part of that story that's, that, that, that's kind of the, the pivotal moment. It, it, it's his call. When, when he sees the, the burning bush and he literally hears the voice of God. But if you think about it, you can't really tell the story starting with the bush. Because the story doesn't start there. In fact, the story doesn't even start with Moses, if you think about it. 500 years, 500 years before Moses was even a twinkle in his daddy's eye, God made a promise 
to a wandering Armenian named Abram. He said, Abram, I've got a plan for you. I'm going to give you a land of your own. I'm going to give you descendants that are more numerous than the sand of the sea, more than the stars of the heaven, and I'm going to bless all nations through you. And he became not Abram, but Abraham, the father of nations. But there's a problem. <laughs> Do you remember it? Yeah, he's got, no, he's got no children. It is hard to become the father of nations when you got no kids. Finally, finally, when Sarah is 90 years old, and Abraham is a hundred years old, Sarah gets pregnant. Now think about this. They ought to be test-driving rocking chairs, and they're out buying bassinets. All right? It's, I think it must have come as a bit of a surprise to them. They named the kiddo Isaac, which means laughter. I think because that's what they did when they thought about God's promise to them. Right. We're going to be the, 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 the parents of, of nations. We got one kid. Now that one kid, Isaac, did much better in the kiddo department than, than Abraham. He had two. Uh, they were twins. And they hated each other. Almost from the beginning. Are you picking up a pattern here by, by any chance? You know, God says, I'm blessing you, and then the wheels fall off. It's kind of like a... In fact, you can help me. Draw a line right here. If you're on this side... I want you to say, oh, Oh. there needs to be more hope, more passion. Now hold that, I'm coming back. You need to be in pain and sorrow. Oh. Oh. (laughs) You are painful. (laughs) Oh, okay. So, God... Think about the promise of God. Think about how this burning bush adventure starts. God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a land of your own. I'm going to bless all nations through you. Whoa. But he's not got any kids. And when he finally gets around to it, he gets like one kid. Whoa. But things are looking up. Because that one kid has two kids who absolutely hate each other and can't even live in the same place. On the other hand, the one son that does get around to it, Jacob, has 12 kids who hate each other. But finally, finally that there's some, there is something that unites them. That is that they all hate Joseph. Not yet. Hey, stay with me. Wait for it. They hate him so much that they sell him as a slave to Egypt. But through the grace of God, he becomes not just, not a slave, he becomes the number two man, the prime minister of all of Egypt. And just about the time he comes into power, a famine that encompasses the whole world falls. On the other hand, the famine is so bad that his family living back up in Canaan 
says, if we're going to eat, we got to go to Egypt. So the entirety of his family moves back down to Egypt and are reunited with him. Seventy people, they live in the land of Goshen and they thrive. They thrive so much that 70 people become several million. And they scare the bejeebers out of the Egyptians. They are so afraid of them that they turn them into slaves and mistreat them. And finally they come to the point of saying, we are so worried about how fertile you are, how fast you're multiplying, that every male child that's born to you must be killed. I would say, aww which causes Moses' mama to take her son and put him in a basket that she's woven out of bulrushes and and daubed with pine tar, with with tar. And she sets it on the Nile River. Remember this story? And while it's floating, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe and she sees this little tiny newborn on the water and her heart's just stolen away. She takes that baby And she raises him up as a prince of Egypt. Which makes Moses think that maybe God is going to use him to deliver his people. And so when he sees an Egyptian mistreating one of the Hebrew slaves, he steps in and tries to do justice, and he ends up murdering the guy. And now he's running for his life off into the desert, where he meets this funny old mountain man named Jethro who sets him to tending sheep. And while he's tending his flock on the other side of the wilderness, starting to sound familiar? He sees the burning bush. Are you picking up a pattern here? Pretty subtle, huh? (laughs) Burning bush moments don't just happen out of the blue. Burning bush moments grow out of smoldering decades of God's preparation. That is huge. Let me say it again. Burning bush moments don't just happen. They grow out of smoldering decades of God's preparation. God works in incredible ways. But when he wants to do great things, they are not isolated moments. And get this, they are not just when things are going great and it's an all moment. God's just as present in the ahs as he is in the woes. We need to understand that. That both of those are a part of God's work. Listen to me. There is no event that in God's economy is wasted. There is no pain that is outside the sovereignty of God. Pharaoh puts the death sentence on the Hebrew children. Pretty nasty. But Moses ends up in the court of Pharaoh for 40 years getting the very best possible education in leadership, in government, in military science. (laughs) All on a full scholarship. And all a part of God's plan to be a military and a governing force with his people. What was a tragedy was a part of the scholarship program. Or think about this. Moses makes a stupid choice, and he ends up murdering a guy, 
And as a result of that, he spends 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Did I mention it was the same wilderness that he was going to lead the people of God through? And did I mention that what he did in those 40 years was spend all of his time learning how to keep dumb sheep alive in spite of themselves? Does this sound like it might be good training for being a leader of the children of Israel? <laughs> did somebody just go, aw? Bless you. Hold the thought. Listen, for 20 years, a little more, this church has been doing that. <laughs> I've created a monster. You know, it's true. We've had some really tough times. We've had some really good times. But some of them haven't been quite so good. The point is that none of them, not the worst business meeting you ever had, not the hardest moments you ever faced, none of that has been outside of the sovereignty of God or outside of his promise to bless and to use this church. That's how God works. I believe that we are at a burning bush moment. But I also believe that it was built on God's faithfulness through the O's and the ah's. I love the picture of, of, of the church. Somebody said that a church is like a bunch of porcupines trying to stay warm on a cold night. You know, it's so cold that they, they cuddle together for warmth. And then they start poking and prickling each other. And so they move apart until they get cold again. Then they shuffle back together and prickle and poke. And this dance of the porcupines is how God prepares his church for burning bush moments. It's how he prepares us for a journey into his promise. You know what else I believe? I believe that in God's economy, burning bush moments happen when hearts get humble enough to want them. Look at verse 7 of Exodus 3. What it says is, I've heard my people crying out in their pain. I think we're there. I think that we have struggled and fought and prayed and come back and apologized and struggled and prayed till finally we know that the only thing we want is God. The only thing we want is His plan. Not mine, His. The only thing we want is His best, not the way it's always been or not what I always thought it should be, his best. How does that line go? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That's when he hears from heaven and it's when he heals not just lands but churches and communities and hearts. We've been praying a lot lately. It's a good thing. You want to know how it is that I came to be here? I don't do this for a living. 
People keep asking, so where are you going to go from now, from here? Dear ones, I don't do this for a living. I'm not, I don't think I'm going anywhere else. In fact, I retired, you know, in 2002. And for 10 years, I studiously avoided interim situations. I love, I love churches. I love, love pastoring. But God brought me out of that. And my deal with God was always, you make the appointments, I'll keep them. But it was never an interim pastorate, which was fine with me, which was good with me. So when I got a call from, from Dave and George and, 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 and the interim search committee, to be honest with you, I kept the appointment just kind of as a courtesy. I figured if God made the appointment, I'd keep that one, but I knew it wasn't going anywhere. But I was so absolutely struck by the humility of the search committee, by their utter honesty. They said, John, here's who we are, and here's what we're struggling with, and here's what we need to have happen. I've got to be honest with you. As we talked about some of the stuff we were struggling with, I laughed out loud. <laughs> you what? How good do we possibly get in a spot like that? Well, then I came. And I was humbled. Because it wasn't so funny. We got ourselves in some really tough spots, not because we're mean, nasty people. Far from it. We got in hard spots because we so much wanted to do what was right. Yes? We just Made some wrong choices here and there. Honest to goodness, one of the most exciting things about this church, in my opinion, and maybe the first thing I told Peter when we were talking about it, is I believe that we are a humble church. A church that finally has caught on to the reality that even though we are talented people living in a wealthy area with a great location, a great building, bottom line is, we can't do it! But he can he can. We can't make it work. But he can. And he always, always, always keeps his promises. When God called Mercer Island Covenant Church into existence, he did it with a promise and a hope and a dream to be used and to make a difference. And God always keeps his promises in his sweet time and in his way. And when we're humble enough to ask and then to listen. Burning bush moments happen at that point. I want to make one more observation about burning bushes in Mercer Island Covenant Church. I want to be very, very clear about this. I believe that we are at a burning bush moment passionately believe that. And I believe that God is calling us to a promise and, and to the adventure of our lives, but I do not believe that Pastor Peter is Moses. <laughs> Nor does he. I believe he's a very gifted leader, and I believe that he is God's man for this time and this place, and I believe that he's here by the power of God. But he's not Moses. And even if 
I did think he was. There's a very significant point I want to make for you. Great leaders stand on the shoulders of the folks that came before them. Great leaders aren't snatched out of the blue in the moment. Great leaders come to great context with great histories, and they build on the shoulders of those that came before. It's absolutely true with Moses. Think about this. Moses could not have been the man that he was unless his mama, a woman named Jacobed, had defied the order of Pharaoh and saved her baby's life. She made a basket out of, out of bulrushes and, and, and daubed it with pitch, pine tar. And for that matter, Moses could not have been the leader he was unless Pharaoh's daughter had done exactly the same thing, defied the word of Pharaoh, and she pulled that little guy out of that little reed boat, and she educated him at Pharaoh's expense. Moses couldn't have been the man he was without the work of a, of a mountain man, a, a, a desert shepherd named Jethro, who took him under his wing and showed him how to survive in the desert. Let me tell you my, what's becoming my very favorite story. When Peter was called to, to candidate here, before he got here, everybody in the world had advice for him. What's interesting is one of the things they warned him about, I think somebody that actually wanted him to go to a different church, said, that church has got some real challenges. For instance, you need to know that Bud Palmberg, who was the pastor of the church when it in its glory days, is still in that church. Ooh. It is very unusual. Typically, pastors don't go back to churches where they served after they retired. But God led Bud and Donna here. And parenthetically... I've worked with him for over a year, and it's been a joy. In a year, I've never heard them speak a word of criticism of me or anyone else. But when you're on the outside, it doesn't look that way. And a former pastor in that church is scary stuff. What's fascinating to me is after they were called, Peter asked Bud if they could have coffee. So they went down to Starbucks, and they talk about both of them being in the same spot, talk about stuff that could happen and not happen, and I don't know what all they talked about, but this is the part I like. As they were getting ready to go, Peter said to Bud, listen, I really, really know that ministry is not going to start happening at Mercer Island Covenant when I show up. I know that anything that I do is built upon your shoulders and the people who worked for all those years. I want to continue to worship or to minister in your spirit. And the one thing I want most from you is what Elisha asked from Elijah. Do you remember this story? When Elijah's ready to go to heaven and they're going to pass the mantle, Elijah says, what do you want? And Elisha says, I pray a double portion of your spirit. Right there in Starbucks, God put his head on Peter's his hand on Peter's head, and he prayed the prayer of Elijah. May this man minister with a double portion of your spirit, Lord. Now listen to me. I think Peter is great. I'm so glad he's here, but he's not Moses. 
if Peter is going to be the man that God has called him here to be, then it's going to be because all of us, not just Bud, but all of us bless him and pray for him and unite with him in spirit. In about, a, in, 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 in about three weeks, you're going to have an installation, and that's a great service. But right now, I want to have a blessing. And Peter, I want you to come stand here, will you? And Bud, come on up. Bud's already prayed for Peter once. But I want some other people to come up. In fact, I want pretty much everybody else to come up. If you have been a part of the leadership of this church, I want you to come up. If you've been a faithful tither in this church, I want you to come up. If you've been a Sunday school teacher, I want you to come up. Young people, listen to me. We get the feeling that this is an old guy deal. It's not. If this church is going to be who God wants it to be, it's got to be about you. I want to invite you to come up. Kiddos, this isn't just for older people. Now listen, some of you don't feel led or aren't physically in a spot where you can come up. That's, that's fine. Don't feel like you have to. But listen, if you can get close enough to Peter, put your hands on him. If you can't put your hands on him, put it on the person next to you. Those of you that are not going to come up, can I invite you to just put your hands forward just to identify with or touch the person in front of you? And dear ones, listen. This isn't scripted. I want to invite a bunch of you to bless Peter. To, pat, to join with his spirit in what God is calling us to do here. Just a couple, a bunch of you. Pray out a sentence or so. Do it loud enough that the rest of us can pray with you. Let's join God in blessing this man.